0: right now we're gonna i did say at the beginning we're gonna preach about war This more if you like to rinaldi you know let's do some war whatever that means we're gonna turn in our bibles to genesis chapter 14. for those in the pew bible who are still stuck as to where this is it's on page seven and i'm going to read the first 16 verses uh if anyone would like to come and read it i would i would appreciate it but uh i wouldn't want to put anyone through uh, what's going to happen in the next two minutes this is probably the worst passage of scripture that anyone could read at any time <coughs> Genesis chapter 14 verses 1 to 16 and I'm trying to give you all the benefit of my three years of Hebrew uh, in Bible college to try and get through this passage of scripture and it came to pass in the days of Amraphel king of Shina Arioch, king of Elassa, Lahoma, king of Elam and Tidal, king of nations that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom Bersha, king of Gomorrah Shinav, king of Admah, shem Eva, king of Zeboin and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. all these joined together in the valley of Shedim that is the salt sea Twelve years they served Chedor Laoma and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chedor Laoma and the kings that were with him came and attacked, at, attacked the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, Khanim, the Zuim in Ham, the Hemin, the Shavekaryon, and the Orites in the mountains of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishphat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who dwelt in Azezon tema And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in the battle of, in the valley of Sidim, against Chedorahama, king of Elam. Boy, don't I go into some detail here. <laughs> Tidal, uh, king of nations. Amrath, king of China. And Arioth, king of el Four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of Ashvat pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their provisions, and went their way. They also took Lot. We get into the bit that we are interested in. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abraham, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite brother, the Amorite, Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Anna, and they were allies in, with Abraham. Now Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive. He armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as o- Ova, which is north of Damascus. And so he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people and for those of you who haven't given up on life that's the passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning in a sort of loose uh, type of way now we're looking at Abraham of course, we're looking at his life we're looking at the things that took place during his life and we're seeing them as principles and examples uh, for us to, uh, to follow and to learn from perhaps not follow but to learn from you know but I've got to be honest I'm beginning to feel a little bit sorry for Abraham. Um, I think every page that we've looked at so far, and I think this is the fifth or sixth time that we've looked at Abraham's life, every page of his story is a challenge. Now I'm not that type of person. I like a little bit of peace and quiet. I don't like a challenge. You know, I'd rather sit down and sort of read the paper than have any challenge at all. But Abraham seems that every turn that he makes... Every decision that he makes Every place that he goes to if He's faced with a challenge A lesson to learn A principle to follow And Abraham he seems to have no respite From this sort of challenging test That God is putting him through If you remember last week When we dealt with the, the, the choice of land Between Lot and Abraham And Abraham said to Lot You choose no and there we saw the 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 test of his self-interest what would he be more interested in would he be more interested in the best of the land or would he be more interested in putting his trust in in god for everything that he needed and we saw that he passed that test in fact i said that he was beginning to fly because he left it all up to god he said you choose you choose and it was an amazing test that he or amazing way that he passed that test because giving everything that he had to God uh, was taking away all of his uh, self-interest Lord chose the best of course of course he would because the flesh always chooses the best but God had Abraham left it up to God he was beginning to fly was the last words that I said last Sunday morning but no sooner But as he begins to sow, something comes along which is capable of bringing him, crushing him back down to earth. Another challenge that would test his relationship with God, that would test his dependence upon God, and of course would test his character. Was he the right person? That God wanted to be the father of nations. You might have um, remember the verse that I read out for my verse. Was God by chapter 17. Uh, saying to Abraham. I've, this covenant I've made with you is going to last. Because I am going to make you the father of many nations. But here he is still in the middle of the testing process. What sort of person is Abraham? And here is a, a challenge that would test his relationship. And his dependence upon God. And you, want this time, it's war. War. Anybody remember Edwin Starr? Yes, I do. Do you remember Edwin Starr? Edwin Starr. What did he do? I can't remember. No, you can't remember I know no. the name. Huh? I know the name, but I can't remember. You I should know him, Edwin Starr. Pop star. He's a pop star. Oh, pop right. No. Can't remember the song. says war. Who? Ah, he! he, he was what good, is it good for? He was Edwin like Starr. Yeah, something. he was, there when he was um, from he Motor, brother, Kamala Motor. He remember him, wasn't brother. No, no can, I, can I remember him? War, what is it good for? He, 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 absolutely, absolutely nothing. Friend, you? you remember that song? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is What is war good for? Absolutely nothing, says Edwin Starr. And the temptations, actually. uh recorded the, the, the song as well it's not quite true it's not quite true it's not quite true in the spiritual life of a Christian and we will see why it's not quite true you know um, this, this passage of Scripture that we are looking at this morning is the first mention of war in the whole of the Scriptures you know what, it sets the scene for every war that's come after even the wars that are going on today Um, are driven I would say by the lust for dominion somebody wants dominion over someone else I suppose that's the biggest struggle that humans uh, have to deal with is trying to make sure that we keep dominion of what we have because we know that there's someone who wants to have dominion over us it started here in Genesis chapter 14 and it is continuing to go in 2015 you know what? I must agree uh, with Edwin we call him Edwin from now on uh, now that we've got to know him and I must agree with him and say that war is ugly war is savage war is a monstrous waste of life you know as I look at the, 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 the uh, what do they call them documentaries on the television about the wars that were passed and seen huge armies sort of uh, perishing in the snow or perishing in the desert You know, when they got all their finery on I like to think to myself, how stupid we are Thinking that war is glorious Because it's not It's not, it's ugly, it's savage It's a monstrous waste of life But we all know as well That life without conflict is impossible Whether it be naturally Or whether it be spiritually Life without war cannot exist You know, it's a known fact whether we uh, care to acknowledge it or not, that whether whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's moral, or whether it's spiritual, we have to engage in antagonism to survive and to grow. You and I, let's think of it physically, um, you and I have been uh, endowed with an internal system that continually repels the threat of extinction from without I suppose our biggest ally is our skin our skin keeps out all the things that would tend to destroy us tend to come in and uh, ruin the system that we have that keeps us alive you know if, it, if something ever gets through we have a, a system of um, antibodies that continue <laughs> to war against the things that have come in there is a, um, an internal system that repels all these forces that would try to destroy us. Our immune system is, is sort of tuned up to keep us healthy. You know, and um, if we have sufficient vitality within to overcome the forces without, then what we do is we maintain a balance of health. That happens to us naturally every day of our lives. But the struggle is for dominion. You know, something out there wants to dominate something in you. And yet something in you stops it doing it by antagonizing it and protecting itself against it. It's a battle for dominion. The mind, the mind is a constant scene of such a battle. You know, if I want to maintain a clear, vigorous mental life, then I have to fight in order to produce a balance of thought. And every one of us go through the same thing. You know this, the mind, my father always says to me, the mind is a dangerous thing, it's a a sneaky thing, it's a thing that's almost uncontrollable. And yet we have, as Christians, to maintain a healthy mind. So our thoughts are healthy thoughts. Our thoughts are towards God, towards morality, towards the things that are precious. And yet all the time, there is a battle going on because something outside wants to come and overtake our mind, and we have to balance, have a balanced thought. It's a um, you know it's sad to see that around us that so many people lose the fight for the mind, but it's a war that's played out for dominion. Morally, again, I suppose it's exactly the same. Virtue is a Is is something that we all want to follow and pursue. But virtue doesn't come naturally because we are good, because none of us are good. I think David said in his prayer that none of us, Jesus told us that none of us are good. We haven't got the capacity to be good. Virtue comes to us as a result of a fight, we are naturally immoral. But for society to work And I'm not talking about Christians I'm talking about society uh, at large There has to be some kind of standard of ethics That becomes a part of our psyche Of of our build up So that we know when something's something's wrong And something's right And we refrain from it It's a a moral stance And yet we also know that out there There are forces (coughs) that are trying to destroy our morality now, as Christians, we have a, an, an even bigger difficulty in maintaining morality because our society has veered off away from the things of God. And as called right, what is not right? As called pure, what is sinful? And therefore we have an added... Part of a battle for our morality Because we must follow God's way You know, and the the standard that we place into our makeup Our psyche has got to be a biblical one And that's why we tend to come to church like this So we can receive from God His word What did the psalmist say? Your word I have hidden in my heart That I might not sin against you But it's a battle for dominion It's always a battle for dominion Dominion, you know if we can have a, a godly moral fiber and produce a balanced virtue, then of course we need the Word <coughs> of God, and it brings us to the spiritual side, the spiritual side of things, you know before long on the Thursday night, for those of us who uh, come along on a Thursday night, we will be hit in one John chapter five verse nineteen and this is what, this is what it says: we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies. Under the sway of the wicked one. Now what tells me that this is the big one. For us as Christians. Because everything makes in the world. If the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Everything in the world makes for my spiritual demise. <clears throat> we have an enemy who is trying to destroy us spiritually. Jesus said the same thing in John. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, he says, I have overcome the world. Mm-hmm. In the world, you will have tribulation. Thank you, Lord, for telling us that. No, I mean, thank you, Lord, for telling us that. Because knowing that, knowing such a thing, gives us a better understanding of the opposition we continually feel you know if God hadn't said that if Christ hadn't said that if he had said to us that everything in the garden is going to be wonderful you come to me now and I'm going to bless you above all other things and you're going to sail through life and you're going to walk on the mountain top and you're never going to have a problem you know you and I would be so confused this morning we would be so disillusioned because none of that has ever taken place in our lives but he's warned us He's warned us that opposition is our lot in life. You wonder know, um, such opposition now because we know that because Christ has warned us of it because he has given us the Holy Spirit that we can combat combat it, those um, the opposition now instead of deflating us, which it could tend to do or confuse us, which it could tend to do, now begins to encourage us because you see if we say through life we'd have to sit down and think what am I doing wrong what am I doing wrong because Jesus has commissioned us to place a counter community in this community a counter culture to the community and when there's something that is different set up you know that opposition is a, a, a foregone conclusion so if you're not having opposition you begin to think well what am I doing wrong you know, it's a test that you and I can test our lives with. If we are sailing through without any problems, then I wonder if we are setting up this counterculture that Christ has set, us, set our, 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 His purposes in us. So we, instead of being confused or deflated, we are encouraged you know, to produce holiness uh, in us. These things come. These things come to try our faith. You no know one our faith is to be tested. I suppose it's true to say that untested faith is a contradiction in terms. You know that your, your faith is not faith until it has been tested. You no, know, and it's in such conflict that we grow in our faith. Listen to what Peter says in his first epistle. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith comes as a result of testing. Our faith becomes so precious because it is tested in the fire, in the tribulations that Christ said would come. You wonder when Paul tells us in that chapter that we are to be holy because God is holy. And it is this spiritual battle that is set to produce such holiness in our lives. Do you know that Christianity You know, when we think about Christianity over the years, we think of people with nice clothes on, Sunday best, going to church, singing, preaching, praying, and all the the things that that would make society a a better place if everybody did it. But we know that Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. Not for the faint-hearted at all. Christianity isn't the easy option. Christianity isn't... uh, Opting out of society. You know, and uh, it's about battling God's, uh, or battling to be God's representatives within society. And it's a different idea than an awful lot of uh, uh, what Christianity has become in this world uh, is, because it's a battle, a continual battle. No, Jesus tells us when he was talking about John the Baptist He says, and from the days of John the Baptist Until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence And the violent take it by force So we can see that this battle is a real one This battle, this war that you and I are in Is a profitable one Because it builds into us It builds into us character It builds into us faithfulness it builds into us morality and it builds into a spirituality and holiness you and know, and that's why uh, each week we come together like this to prepare ourselves for the battle that ensues that will come our way over the next seven days and i thank god for a place like this where we can recharge our batteries that we can reload if you like so that we can go out into the battlefield of life now Abraham I, I would say that he could have done without this fight that he found, that he finds himself in Lot to me seems to be the proverbial teenager who continually calls on uncle's time and resources and uh, you know oh, goodness. Lot again what, what have he done now you know I suppose he's been worrying about Lot over the last couple of years because Lot has sneaked himself into Sodom now, yes the, the, the plains of Jordan were lovely and, uh, and lovely for uh, his cattle but there was this Sodom and Gomorrah that was right in the middle of it and he, if you remember last week we said that he pitched his tent towards Sodom no he could have pitched his tent the other way to look down but no he pitched his tent to look towards Sodom you know on the lure of Sodom Took him closer and closer and closer. No, and um, I suppose that with Abraham and with us as well, in God's providence, we all get unexpected, unearned complications because of other people, of other things, because of other circumstances. You know, um, we say to me, these these things are sent to try us. That's one of our. Familiar sayings. But what is our response? What is Abraham's response? Are we faint-hearted? Are we faint-hearted? Do we give up to self-interest? Or are we like Abraham? Trusting God. Trusting in God. And not leaving it to someone else. You know, um, 20 years ago, in the next couple of months, I received a phone call. From, from Ron Evans from the Mount. We all know Ron Evans. And Ron Evans had been running a, a service in a Sputty George Thomas on a Tuesday afternoon for uh, the, the, day, the day hospital. You know, and you know he was ill and he was finding it too difficult to keep it up. <coughs> and so he phoned me. Uh, and he said to me, these are the words he said, if you want anything done, ask a busy man, he said. Now, at that time, I was still working full time in Ensel um, Tom had just had his stroke. Diane, of course, uh, um, who was deacon here then, had uh, just, Colin had just had his accident. And therefore, uh, the church uh, lost its leadership overnight, and I was running it on my own. So I was running a church and working full time. And my, the obvious response to this request was to say no it's just too much it's just impossible but I got to be honest the thought of doing the Lord's work in this way caught my imagination so much that I had no hesitation and said that I would be glad to You know the obvious um, so the response would be, well, let's, why do we leave that to someone else? Why don't someone have more time on their hands? You know, and, with, and they would be able to go and do it. And yet, um, something, or the Lord, sort of spurred me on to say, yes, I'll be glad to. No <coughs> you know, overwork, no time. You know, they could have been excuses that I, that I would have used. And, uh, but they didn't come into my mind they didn't come into it and uh, for 17 years I went up to George Thomas on a Tuesday afternoon and those moments that I spent there became the most satisfying of the whole week and I would say became the most profitable of the whole of my ministry they were amazing times Uh, I, I met and challenged so many people you know I was saying the other day to someone that Every um, occupational therapist that exists in, the, in South Wales has actually spent three months in my Tuesday afternoon services. And whatever hospital I go in, if there's an occupational therapist on the ward, I will know them and they will know me, and they will have heard the gospel at least ten times because they all had to go to a Sputty George for three months. That was a part of their training. And every one of them came to that service. There were many of the patients that the Lord reached with the gospel. And it was an amazing time uh, that I spent. You no know, wonder, um, in a way, weariness didn't come into it. And in a way, weariness, there's no such thing as weariness when we do the Lord's work. Now, I know that uh, we can abuse ourselves by burning the candle at both ends and uh and things like that and becoming tired and weary but you know listen to what isaiah says he says he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might he increases their strength even the youths shall faint and be weary the young men shall utterly fall but those who wait on the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint you know that tells me that the more we spend out in God's service the more we will be refreshed by God himself that's the principle of the scriptures now I know that we can abuse that naturally (coughs) but spiritually we are uh, bound to get more out of God, the more we give to God. You know what, it's the, uh, it's the Christian who sits and does nothing. is the Christian who gets tired and weary. The Christian who's about the Lord's business. What did Jesus say to his, his, his uh, earthly father? I must be about my father's business. What does he say to his disciples? My will, is, my uh, food is to do the will of him who sent me. Ah, but you're tired, you're weary, you're thirsty, you're hungry. But my will, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. You know, one of today's greatest ails uh, is psychological problems. You know, it's, and it's seen uh, in the Ronda because it is a deprived area. And psychological problems sort of grow up in such areas because there is a lack of a dominant interest. You know, and the same thing can be true spiritually. We can, as Christians, be spiritually depressed because we have no dominant interest. I thank God for a dominant interest. You know, the study of God's Word, the preaching of God's Word, uh, the running of this church is a dominant interest in me. You know, and very often gives me no time To have any psychological problems Because my mind is alert In the things of God You know that's the most important principle For us as Christians The world outside because of the lack of employment Have no dominant interest You know we can see The rise of psychological problems In our society Because there's no dominant interest You know and in the church It can be the same If we don't have a dominant interest In the things of God no, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called Spiritual Depression You know, and I would have th- thought that I read it years and years ago but I would have thought that this would have been a main point that if you allow your mind to be empty your life to be uninvolved then you will soon become spiritually depressed as you become physically depressed uh, in, out in the world so there is a dominant interest that we need you know, and that's why working for the Lord doesn't make you weary working for the lord refreshes you keeps you with high spirits because god is in it and it's a principle that he gives you more than you could ever give to him the work of the lord can fill out every moment and the energy the life that god gives will be super abundant, that no one can hinder now i've already said as we come to a close this morning But Abraham was tested in chapter 13 as to his self-interest. Well, here in this passage of Scripture, of course, we can see that it is his complacency that comes under God's scrutiny. You know, after all, Lot was getting what he asked for. You know, he asked for everything that he had. He chose, as I said earlier, he chose the plains of Jordan and allowed himself to be enticed closer and closer to Sodom you know one level of this story Abraham's act of faith in chapter 13 has been justified you know I've allowed you to choose what do we say you've given him enough rope and they'll hang themselves you know can you imagine Abraham thinking just a little smirk on his face well I've given him enough rope and here he is he's gone and hung himself or he could have thought, well, this is it going to teach him a lesson? Perhaps he'd be more wiser now. he he've gone through this circumstance. And then all we could say, well, what do you expect? He's brought it on himself. How is Abraham going to react? You know, I'm going to be honest that I would have reacted like that. I probably have reacted like that. When I see Christians who have entangled themselves in the world and found themselves so far away from God that they, they, have, they lost everything you only know, think you say, well what do you expect they didn't come to the Bible study they didn't do this they didn't do that they did this they did that what do you expect you know it's Christians like me who keep working on with the Lord because of who I am you know there's this tendency to look down your nose and blame the person or say well he's brought it on himself but Abraham showed us another way and this is the lesson that we need to learn always now when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive what did he do? did he smirk? did he look down his nose? no he armed his 300 men 318 trained servants who were born in his house and went out on the pursuit as far as Dan he got up and he fought for his brother you know and that's a wonderful lesson for us a challenging lesson for us this morning well a challenging Latin for me at least there's no gloat in here no I told you so no gossip but a striving to get his brother back to safety you know, And as I was writing those words I wondered how many backsliding Christians in the Rhonda Valley today <coughs> that we could have restored Had we fought for them instead of blaming them, instead of criticizing them? You know, that's a challenge to me, to me particularly. How many could I have restored if I had fought for them instead of blaming them? You know, uh, just to finish, I'm quite intrigued by the description of Abram's fighting men. First of all, they were trained. You know, I've always maintained that church is not the goal of Christianity, but the training ground for Christian ministry. Our six little hours a week that we spend at, in this place are not the, the, the sort of the big moment of our Christian lives. Our six hours should result in our ability to be a part of God's eternal purposes Throughout the rest of the week. I think that's what God desires. That's what God wants in His in His children. To come to this place, to enjoy the worship and the praise, to come and give thanks and come along the table. To come and hear the Word of God. To our fellowship. To feel a part of something that is eternal. But what does that do? Is that something that sort of fills us up so that we can dribble down until we get here next time? Or is it something that prepares us? for the next few days where the battle will rage its hottest you know we haven't done our bit when we leave here on a Sunday we've read our orders we've read our orders you know but they were also those who had been born in his own house. you know one of the most thrilling things for me as a pastor and I suppose for any pastor that has any sort of delight in what he does the most thrilling thing is to a pastor to you, his ministry being aired by those in his flock you know and um, I would say and it's such a thrill to me that there's a glutton ministry uh, in this place you know there's so many people who would want to come to this pulpit and preach and do many things that um, have been growing over the last uh, four or five years and uh, we have you know we have lots of people who want to be musicians we have people who want to convene we have people who want to preach you know, on Sunday night is, has become such a variety uh, of faces and ways of preaching and putting the truth over you know, and there's a, a glut I suppose, of ministry in this place, But as I listen I hear the emphasis on the deity of Christ I hear the emphasis on the cross of Christ On the atonement of Christ. I heard about the sinfulness of man. I heard about the salvation of God. I heard about our eternal security in Christ. I heard about the sufficiency of the scriptures. You know things that God has graciously shown to me as essential. You know this is not true in every church. You know when you read some of the things that I read of what Christians are saying, in today's world you would be amazed as to how much of a minority even in Christian circles all those ministries are and yet in this place they flourish in this place they are aired every time by every one of the ministers that come to this pulpit we see, I hear the gospel as recorded in the scriptures and it is a thrill to me because God has shown me these things And I'm seeing it reflected in the congregation uh, that I belong to. You know, it makes me feel, and yes, I know that most of you have come from other fellowships, but I can honestly say that I feel that you have been born in this household, that the truths that you air have been reinforced in this household, that the truths that you have changed to I've been born in this household. And how blessed I feel to have such people around me that when I have a weakness to overcome, you know, when I sit in my seat and listen to ministry and I have a weakness to overcome, I know that that weakness will be overcome by someone who has been trained, who has been born in this house and who loves me more than anything else. And that's how I feel Abraham uh, won this battle. Because he had men from his own household. And you can trust people from your own household. More than you can trust anyone else. You can trust people who you've trained. More than anyone else. Because you know who they are. And what they are capable of. You know, and um, going, you know, and you might think uh, it's uh, nothing much. But going away last week and knowing that our Thursday night Bible study would go according to how it should go. It's a wonderful blessing for a pastor. You know, when I was in Merthyr, I didn't have that. When I was in Merthyr, there was such a little uh, group of ministers together that if I went away, the church would uh, literally collapse. So when I go away now on a Thursday, uh, or, uh, in the week, and a Thursday meeting comes, I can forget all about it. Because I know that there are people here who are capable, willing, untrained, and untrustworthy, and To do what should be done in this place. Trained and born in his own household. Just like Abraham. I have people in this place who are trained from my own household to depend upon. So let's not be complacent. That's the lesson of uh, this passage of scripture. the, The lesson of complacency. Let's not be complacent. But doing the will of the Lord in every circumstance. Let's not leave it to others. Let's not be too comfortable in our own self-interest. But let's be abundant in the things of God. Let's not be too critical. But let's be those that restore rather than destroy. That we, like Abraham, would have the thrill of going out, finding Lot and his children. And his wives. And our wife and all the rest of it. Bringing them back. And being a family once again. For the glory and the honour. And the security. The glory and honour of God. And the security of our brothers and sisters. War. What is it good for? In the world absolutely nothing. But as a Christian. It develops. Develops us physically. Develops us mentally develops us morally and develops us spiritually, for His name's sake.